Totally Football Show. Today, Boxing Day traditions ahoy, as men dressed in red hunt foxes off the field, while at Spurs, Jose fails to find any space in Dombelli, like the rest of us. Also, Saints elsewhere, as Southampton climb up to 14th, and we salute the last round of the decade, as they play Chelsea under Mikel Arteta. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Nowhere I'd rather be than here in the Totally Studio on this Friday. The what are we at, uh, Duncan Alexander? Twenty seventh of twenty seventh, twenty seventh of December. December. Merry Christmas to you, oily sailor. Also here is it God Jul, uh, Frida Fagerland of Afton Bladed. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay, and uh, happy sixth day of Hanukkah to you, Raphael Honigstein. Thank you, James. Boom. Everybody have a good Christmas stroke festive period? Yes, good. Football, Rafa, because it doesn't stop ever. And particularly vintage round of said sport on Boxing Day. Gian, it might be Gian, says, what was your favourite Boxing Day football moment? I'll come to you, Frida. Favourite moment? Favourite moment of Boxing Day. <laughs> that was a tough one since, since I was at the Tottenham Stadium. And were there the game, no good moments there? Um there were a few, but mm. it was also, you know, very rainy and, and so on. So I think I have to go with maybe Leicester-Liverpool right. later on. Or uh, getting home from the football. That might have been a really nice moment when you just got home. Well, the the tube didn't run, so I, I had to walk my way home, which right. is it's pretty far. So Is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. How, how fast to walk? Um, I think it took me like two hours. So oh. you walked all the way back in the rain on Boxing Day. Yeah, I did. I will phone my editor at the Athletic. He might be interested in that. Yeah, as <laughs> a feature, powerful walk. <laughs> well, Rafa's yeah. puzzled why everyone's laughing at this point. But uh, Rafa, do you, you have a special serious. moment? Yeah. Um, special moment? No, I just enjoyed being at Chelsea. I uh, hadn't seen them uh, live in quite some time, and mm. uh, Boxing Day was a good opportunity to to see them and also. The uh, much improved Hasenhüttel-esque Southampton. Yeah, amazing. That's amazing. Good. And you, Duncan, you? I think I'll go for Trent Alexander-Arnold's goal because it kind of capped off one of those displays that players do every now and again where they really kind of announce them. I mean, everyone knew he was a great player, but that really was a kind of, you know, here I am. I'm possibly going to be the, the best English player slash in the world uh, for the next decade. So That was the consecration, you think? I think so. All right. It was also quite possibly... The night that the title race was declared as dead as Jose's dog. Liverpool visiting their nearest well, rivals. Well, well, his dog, what's this? Did you not hear about Jose's no. dog? Oh, Duncan, I'm so sorry to be the one. I filter you. out bad dog news, obviously, having, being a new dog owner. Right. Yeah, well, so he's got a dead dog. I feel like Jeff Shreve's here. Yeah, but but, uh, but Jose's, <laughs> Jose's dog died. He was asked by Jim Rosenthal, I think. Um, uh, yes, ask your parents. But anyway, uh, he was asked by Jim Rosenthal... Uh, how his Christmas had been, and Jose said with admirable candor, not great actually, because my dog died, and for me, my dog is my family. Ouch. Anyway, uh, but but the title race, Duncan, the title race, that's it, huh? Yeah, it looks pretty uh, dead and buried, um, unlike, well, we, don't, we can't speculate, but um, I think, uh, you know, Leicester, it wasn't just the fact Liverpool scored four goals, it was the way they just controlled the game from start right. to finish. Leicester didn't have a, a shot of any kind to the second half, um, it really was one of the one of the great displays. It reminded me. You occasionally got it with the Arsenal Invincibles. You got it with Mourinho's Chelsea. You got it a couple of times with United when when Ronaldo was there. When it was just a a really kind of dominant performance and you know kind of just sets their stall out as as the best team. All right, Joe Gilmore tweeting. Mad to think this is the same team that got beat five 0 by Aston Villa. Uh, yeah, you enjoyed this game once you got home through the rain, Frida. I really did, yeah. Um, and I know that we've been talking about the big six not ex- existing anymore, but I guess we have to talk about the, the big two nowadays since both Liverpool and Manchester City have shown that they are by far the best teams in this league. Um, but I agree with Duncan about Trent Alexander-Arnold. I thought that he was... Absolutely amazing. And we've been talking about him being one of the best right backs in the world. I mean, I think we should talk about him being one of the best players in the world because 
maybe he, he had some troubles with this defensively uh, before, but I mean, he he didn't put a foot wrong mm. against Leicester, and he was absolutely superb from start to finish. Yeah. The amazing thing, this has been widely described, I think, including by Liverpool players and Klopp himself as the best performance of the season. But this is, has come on the back of um, 17 wins out of 18, which is not usually sort of the, the pattern of a team uh, underperforming by their own standards. Um, and that is is a bit frightening, I think, for the rest for the rest of the league. If Liverpool actually starting to play well now. Right. Um, being in the position that they are in. But even, I mean, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold you know, sort of caught the eye and, and capped it off with a goal, but I, I actually thought that Jordan Henderson had an unbelievable game. For a guy who still a year ago, I remember at Anfield, was getting pelters when he was playing as a, a makeshift right back and the crowd really got on his back saying, oh, he's rubbish and he's this and that. And has never really been fully loved, maybe until the t- very tail end of last season with the Barcelona game and, and his performance in the final. And they were singing his name and he has become a completely different and, and so much improved, um, so vastly improved player. I thought he was sort of the, the face of that performance yesterday. This was the fixture that people had pointed to as potentially the trickiest for Liverpool because of their flight to Qatar and the extra time and the fact that Leicester had been so tough at home. But in fact, Leicester had only conceded five goals at the King Power Stadium all season. They they shipped another four in, in the space of the 90 minutes against Liverpool. Uh, Will Date says, which coincidentally is the byline on my Twitter profile, was yesterday the most harmful boxing day for foxes on record? I mean, yeah, there was also Julian Warm, wasn't there, with a baseball bat? Killed a fox with a baseball bat, which may be a tradition in certain bits of the country. Obviously, there's other fox-related badness on boxing day. It certainly is. Now, Norton, a question for you, Oily. Is Leicester's combined XG in both games against Liverpool of 0.22, the lowest of this or last season? It's a good question. I will, good I will question? follow up with them and answer him. All yeah. right, is that that's really low? That though, is really low. Yeah, I mean, people people kind of forgot that the the game at Anfield between the two sides mm. uh, because Liverpool scored a last minute winner from a penalty. It seemed like they just you know snuck through, but they actually completely dominated Leicester in that game. They've kind of their best two performances of the season probably have been the two games against Leicester. And just to put Liverpool's kind of season into context, they've already got as many points as they did in the whole of twenty eleven twelve. Was that under Hodgson? That was under Dalglish. All right. And they... Already? Already. Yeah. Not even halfway through. And their points total of 52 is already more than 313 teams in Premier League history have recorded in a whole season. So. That sounds like a lot. I don't know we're processing those numbers. It is quite though. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We're beyond finger territory, so... Yeah. Just just a lot, basically. Casper Young says, should Rodgers have changed his system last night after it became clear that Madison wasn't doing enough defensively to stop Trent? Don't know. Is there something they could have done? Could they have had more lights at the start? I felt they didn't do enough pyrotechnics in the in the build up. Or is it just when you face a team like that with Hendo and Trent on fire that there's not much you can do to limit the Liverpool damage? haven't uh, really pushed both fullbacks up in, in bigger games that often, especially away from home. So this was perhaps unexpected the way that they really were going for it. But they were able to do so because the midfield was so solid. Henderson covered so much ground. He protected the back two so well that both Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold could push up. And then when you have those two guys in support of the, the wide forwards, it's very hard to deal a team like that, especially a team that switches the ball, and this goes back to, to Trent, switches the ball so well from one side to the other to stretch sides. Joe Gomez had a, a good game as well. Um, you know, uses pace a couple of times to sort of nullify a couple of Leicester breaks. So, I mean, you know, Naby Keita had another good game, you know, sort of transitioned the ball really well. Um, yeah, they don't really have many weaknesses at the moment. Is Hendo now performing in a role, a la Makaleli role, uh, the uh, Kante role? Is he doing that kind of thing, just basically covering everything in midfield and mopping up everything uh, in front well, of the I defense? Well, I thought last night he was. I mean, he's, he's often played, uh, when Fabinho's day, he often plays in a, a more of a number eight role, sort of a more shuttling role. But uh, yesterday he was most often the, the most defensive midfielder. He He often also... Uh, drop back to receive the ball from the two centre backs, which then makes it difficult for for any team to press when you have three guys um, in in close proximity to each other. Plus the fullbacks really high up the pitch. I just thought his all round game was just was just perfect. He was always there. He always got a foot in. 
and he played with a real presence and sort of character. He even managed to kill a couple of minutes at the end with what looked like a bad injury, but was possibly just a mild bruise. I mean, that's kind of what you want from your captain in a big game. Very nice. Quick shout to Dan Kennett, whose Allison stat I borrowed and didn't credit last time out. Liverpool next up will be hosting Wolves, who are in action this evening against Man City. Leicester will be visiting West Ham this weekend, of whom more shortly. Next up, we'll be talking about the top four race and Saints. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Top four race took another twist on Thursday with the incumbents Chelsea losing 2-0 at home to Southampton. Frida, you were walking. Whereabouts would you have been in the rain at this point? I don't know, maybe in Islington or Islington, something. Islington, right. Yeah. Just try to, what, what were you, did you have headphones or were you just thinking and cursing England and stuff? <laughs> I don't really know. I was so focused. Were you? On what? That's my question. Um, Just getting home? Yeah, I think so. Okay. (laughs) It's a hell of a story. We'll come back to that. Uh, But you were at Stamford Bridge. I was. Good Lord. Saints. Not only a 2-0 win at Chelsea. First time Chelsea have lost back-to-back games there since 2011. But they dropped... Frank Lampard did not like that stat. (laughs) Did he not? Did not like it at all. But the crazy thing was that Everyone had said about Saints going into this. Well, they're all right. They've got Danny Ings. But they didn't even have him this time. They, they, they stuck him on the bench. They did. And it was interesting because I think looking at the team sheet, you thought, OK, this is probably a way to manage the, the fixture list. And maybe they felt, you know, Chelsea away is not going to be the best opportunity. So you rest your, your most important player, the most important striker. But as it turned out, um, the combination of Adams and Obafemi was really tough to deal with for, for Chelsea. They had they had pace, they had a bit of movement. Adams with the back towards goal was was pretty effective, and uh, and it made it very difficult for Chelsea. And there were I think a couple of really important factors uh, underlining or so underlying uh, this this um, performance and the win. One was I think having seen what West Ham and Bournemouth had done to Chelsea. Hasenhutl admitted later that there was no fear, that there was a sense that Chelsea, this Chelsea can be beaten and we can get a result here. And uh, secondly, I think Chelsea just found it again for um, for a um, consecutive third consecutive time really difficult to break down a team at home. Um, they rely a lot on the white players creating stuff. When you have the combination of Aspilicueta and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi on one side, with Hudson-Odoi always going inwards, and, and Emerson and William on the other side, there just wasn't quite enough pace and not quite enough ingenuity to to create stuff. And up front, Kante then is often a little bit isolated in the middle because Jorginho plays very deep. And the, the overall effect is, is a Chelsea side that uh, just lacked that little bit of oomph in the final third. Right. Saints, though, I mean, they had that extraordinary 9-0 at home to to uh, Leicester, but s- recently they put a run of four wins in their last six together. Premier League panel is saying that it's been when Hasenhutl ditched three centre-backs for his Leipzig-style 4-2-2-2 that the results have suddenly come together. Double pivot, Ward-Prowse in a box-to-box Navigator role with uh, Hoiberg uh, holding and uh, it's all worked very well, and it proves how clever Saints were to give him time. Is that a fair tactical analysis of Hasenhutl's approach here? Yeah, I don't know if it was so much the uh, the formation. I think um, it was Hasenhutl saying later that he felt the big difference was the confidence that had come from right. previous results, that the team felt that what they're doing works, that they don't have to be afraid on the ball. I mean, the second goal is a great case in point because it it happened on the back of... I think more than 30 passes where Southampton showed everyone else and themselves that they can actually play a bit. They don't have to be as direct all the time. Well, and also we've talked all season about how Southampton haven't been that bad. They just haven't been able to finish. They've been way under their XG. But yesterday at Chelsea, they only had three shots on target and they scored two goals. So maybe this is wow. the start of the of the shift into, you know, I always thought they'd, they'd probably be okay in that's kind of looking how it's going to be You've been now. vindicated by events, Duncan. Mm. Think, Did you, have you seen the second Southampton goal, Frida? No, I actually haven't. Oh, really? Well, we should was get that up. It went on forever. I mean, oh. it was, as you said, it was about 30 passes. It went back and forth, up and down the field. All Southampton passes and then eventually up the end and then a wonderful uh, little move before Bertrand... Uh, uh, clever finish. I, mean, I think Lampard also did a bit of a... You know when you're playing football manager and you, you change the formation and he got the result away at Tottenham and it worked, but that wasn't necessarily the right approach to then carry on in the next game at home to Southampton. So right. 45, I wouldn't know. Fair. 
I also do think that it can't be a coincidence that Kovacic wasn't on the pitch uh, yesterday because mm. uh, it seems like every time he's he's missing, Chelsea is not doing so well. Sometimes they need a player like that going, being a bit more straightforward and I actually do think that he's been Chelsea's best player, player overall um, this fall. There's some interesting comments from Lampard after the, after the game, apart from refusing to get into uh, the reasons why David Lewis was, was sold. He, he did not want to give any ammunition to to Arsenal or create any headlines. Who are they going to be facing next? Of course. Yeah, when he was asked about that. But he also said that he learned a lot about the players and that he felt that um, there was a lack of character and a lack of um, courage yeah. uh, on the ball in the final third, which is interesting. He then also went out of his way to say this, this does not apply to Hudson Odoi, who's coming back from injury right. and he needs more time and, and tried his best. But... Um, he he looked very disappointed yesterday. Right. Uh, he made the point, which I think is a good one, that Chelsea halfway stage of the season are probably slightly ahead of the expectations that most people had before the start of the season when they thought, oh yeah, they're probably going to struggle. No, no new players, new manager, maybe sixth or fifth. So it's going okay, but of course they started so well that uh, the, the the bar was raised and now they're struggling to keep up with that early form. A lot of people picking up on his comments as well about sticking with young players. He said, if we're not careful, we might end up in a situation like where we were before, where absolute top World Cups players in this moment were at Chelsea when they were 20-21 and managers didn't stick with them. Anyway, they are still uh, top, uh, top four. They are still in, in fourth place. Next up, it is Arsenal. And you're going to be there, Frida. Yeah. Pack your walking boots. This is when? <laughs> Sunday at two o'clock. It's their first home game under Mikel Arteta. So uh, lots of storylines there. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's hard to really know what we are going to get from this game. But right. um, I, I, I don't know really what's up with Chelsea because um, before they were scoring a lot of goals and we spoke about the defence being like their main issue um, but now they actually have a quite you know quite a good defence or at least I mean it can always get better but mm. you understand what I mean um, but now they're not scoring goals yeah. and I do think that since Lampard spoke about Callum Hudson-Odoi as well during the press conference um, it's worrying that he seems to lack so much confidence Um and I think that he really needs to put his head down and, and work pretty hard because it seems like maybe some of the comments by fans and so on, um, maybe they have got to him. Because, right. um, I mean, that's what I thought when, when I heard Lampard speaking about it. So. He could have been at Bayern now, of course, Rafa. Yeah, could have been. Um, but, of course, this Achilles injury sort of effectively stopped Stopped the deal. I think it's worked out well for him. Um, he he got a great contract and perhaps you know, more recognition because of because of that. So they they played it very well from that point of view. But yeah, I think it takes time for a young player, especially after after such a bad injury. It's probably the worst injury you can have in football, with the exception of breaking your leg. So um, we shouldn't be perhaps that surprised if he's a little bit up and down in his performances. Fair enough. Then all right, Arsenal coming up on Sunday. Arsenal. Chelsea, Arsenal, who on sort of mid-afternoon on Boxing Day went down to the Vitality Stadium and had a 1-1 draw. Duncan, can you draw lots of conclusions from that about what Arteta ball is going to consist of? Well, they definitely played a bit differently. It was a bit more positive. Um, they still conceded from the first shot on target they faced, so some Arsenal positions live on. Um, but they had more shots in that game than they did in their previous two matches combined. Interesting. So that is a definite improvement. Also, Mesa Urza was very much part of the whole package. Yeah, Arteta went out of his way to kind of praise him, say he's been incredible in training, whether that's a kind of, you know, you can play in an away game and do some stuff. But he was fairly integral in in the Arsenal goal. Um kind of played it to Nelson who had a sort of scuff shot which reached Aubameyang who then tucked it in so mm. um, it it felt like a step forward although it was only a draw and Arsenal still aren't in a in a great position in the league it, it feels like going into the Chelsea game at home they've got something to, to work with Right um, One win in 11 for Arsenal against the Chelsea side who've lost five of the last seven yeah. so yeah mm. These teams used to be good so yeah. but yeah I think it'd be, it's an interesting game because whoever loses that match is is kind of really plunged into narrative world aren't they so right yeah but I think Chelsea have a lot more to lose than Arsenal because you're probably at the stage where you sort of have written off the season 
uh, at some level of, of consciousness and think that Arteta now needs to show just enough progress to earn the confidence going forward. I, I think it's a little bit, it could be, if things go well for Arsenal, it could be a little bit reminiscent of when Klopp took over at Liverpool. I mean, the league form never really improved. Uh, they had a good run in the Europa League, which got them all the way to the final, and they did just enough for everyone to think, OK, things are going in the right direction. Uh, and I think that's probably what Ateta needs to do rather than getting too many good results, which I think is going to be difficult. Right. Yeah, the only thing I would say is they're only five points above the relegation zone. Yeah, and a lot I of like to say they're only two points above the teams that are just above the relegation that zone. That is one of the classic phrases of mm. English football. Um, I don't think they're in any danger of going down, but that kind of spectre could affect the players if it, if it carries on. Certainly yeah. could. What about those Jadon Sancho to Chelsea stories? Are they for real, Rafa? There is a small chance that Dortmund will decide, OK, you know what, there's going to be so much money on the table, we'll do this deal. Mm-hmm. But they're looking for another striker, a proper number nine. Um, Mertens apparently has said no to him. They still think they have a chance with uh, Erling Haaland. Right. Um, but the last thing they really want to do is lose their most creative wide player, um, with the exception of Royce, but he, he plays mostly through the middle uh, as a number uh, nine and a half. So... It is, it is not impossible, but it's described to me as extremely unlikely. It's that time of year, and everyone's making resolutions to just get better at everything. And it's no different at the Emirates. New manager, new defence, new midfield, maybe a new identity, a new captain perhaps, better fans, new board would be good. But at Paddy Power, we reckon it'll be a case of New Year, New Arsenal. So we're offering money back as a free bet on all markets if they beat Man United on New Year's Day. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. On this match only, pre-match singles, match refund £10, online only, no shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18plusbeatgamblerware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Race for fourth update. Chelsea's margin is now three points to Spurs and Sheffield United. With plucky underdogs Man United, they couldn't, could they? Only one point further back. Now, Spurs, they got off to a terrible start against Brighton, didn't they, Frida? It wasn't like Brighton was dominating the game at all really um, but Tottenham wasn't either so um, Adam Webster he he sure knows how to score on North London stadiums um, but I can't remember him celebrating this wildly after the, the goal at the Emirates he just stood and, and screamed for quite a bit actually uh, after the goal and, and not towards the Brighton fans but towards the Tottenham fans which almost made me think is he a, a, an Arsenal supporter because that was the feeling you got interesting yeah uh, but I'm not sure about that but yeah uh, in the end um, obviously they, they turn things around but I mean, you could say that Moses Sissoko and Harry Winks, um, you know, you know what you what you get when you put them on on the pitch as a center central midfield, um, and they're lacking some uh, abilities that could be provided by someone like Ndombele. Uh-huh. Uh, but I found it quite interesting what Mourinho said during the press conference afterwards that uh, Ndombele wasn't injured; mm. he was just scared. Which is, yeah, which is quite an interesting thing scared, to say about a player. Wow. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, according to Mourinho, he, he fears being injured again. So he's not feeling ready to, to play again, right. which is quite, I mean... It's unlike yeah. Mourinho to, to start falling out of midfielders. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Sissoko, though, I thought that was extraordinary. So um, he was on four yellow cards for the season, one away from from uh, picking up a one-game suspension. I don't know if he plays fantasy football, but if he did, he'd been well aware of what the implications of getting a booking would have been. And um, rarely have you seen somebody go out and actively search for a way into the referee's notebook, as as he did. And Mourinho, he he called uh, the booking of Winks and the suspension on Son... um, as being, you know, it, it wasn't fair, he mm. said. But um, he, he couldn't say so much about the booking on, on Sissoko. But, I mean, of course, he's he's in deep trouble now, as in he has to do something different um, against Nor- Norwich. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Norwich, you've now fallen to bottom of the table um, and uh, the numbers are beginning to get very limited indeed. But we're Brighton a bit unlucky, do you think, not to take something for this game? Um, I think they have struggled a bit. I mean, they had four 
uh, players uh, missing uh, from the squad, which is obviously a lot for Brighton. Um, and that goal, I mean, they did pretty well and they were creating quite many chances. And I really enjoy watching Aaron Moy. Uh, I think he's absolutely brilliant and he's, he's really hard to play against. Uh, um, and he was really good at the Emirates when they won. Um, he was also very good yesterday. Um, but in the end, I, I think they just fatigued a bit. Um, and Tottenham, um, obviously the, the hurricane goal came like in the right moment. And then Deli Ali's goal is it's a stunner. So. Yeah. So anyway, some, some great goals yesterday. You haven't seen the, the second Southampton one, but that's a treat. And of course, there's Jordan Ayews for Palace. Did you catch that? Yeah, I actually did. Right. That, that was amazing. Oh, there was also Mason Greenwood in Man United's uh, terrific mm. uh, romp at home to Newcastle. They're very much in the mix there, aren't they, top four-wise? Yeah, and fans of nostalgia will be loving them surging up the table. It's uh, it's good to see. Just a quick one on Spurs. They, oh, yeah. They kind of almost need to sell Ericsson, I think, in January because he's a bit like that kind of an ex-partner that you keep ringing uh, um, over the festive period because he... I they, don't know what you mean, Duncan. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> they keep, uh, you know, Spurs struggle and right. then it's like you can see Marina go, oh, I'm going to have to bring Christian Ericsson on to try and change his game. And I think the sooner that kind of, you know functionality has ended the better that's a chilling chilling parallel you've drawn there mm. okay uh, uh, what are their prospects of selling Christian um, <sighs> alright we'll move on <laughs> uh, Longstaff opened the scoring great stat you'll know this one Duncan about mm. he's the third player ever to score both his first Premier League goals in two different matches against Man United it's true can you name the other two no. I, I made a note of it somewhere. Yeah, I didn't we'll come back that. to that one, listener. Uh, but uh, Mason Greenwood, if you're a fan of him and stats, then you'll enjoy the fact that the only teenager with more goals now in Europe's big five leagues is Jaden Sancho. Mm. Yeah. Also, if you like stats, yes. and I admit I sort of do, um, it was nice to see Marcus Rashford, the top-scoring player with all the letters from Amazon in his name, <laughs> score a prime number, the third goal of the game. So, Fantastic. Lovely stuff. Also, if you're a fan of knee slides, Mason Greenwood did a really, really good one. And a lot of people are fans of these slides. Do you have a favourite celebration, Frida? I don't know. I just noticed that Trent Alexander-Arnold copied Kylian Mbappé yesterday. Oh, right. Yeah, they're the kind of just statuesque kind of... Yeah. I am Trent Alexander-Arnold. Look upon my works, ye mighty in despair. Yeah. I think that's the subtext there. Uh, right. OK, anyway, so Man United, big victory there, coming from behind and that. Sorry, Duncan, did you want to pitch in more? Just a yeah. bit of mm. stuff on this game. Right, yeah, go for it. Um, no, our friend Michael Cox pointed out amusingly on, on Twitter uh, during this game that uh, it was very on brand from Manchester United because as they started the game ahead of Newcastle, they played quite badly. Newcastle then take the lead and go above them in the league table and United suddenly uh, you know, play better, as is their want. Um, I also enjoyed in this game very rare breaking of the fourth wall of, in the commentary. Oh. Because the United fans, as they will do, were singing their own, you know, their unfavourable song about Alan Shearer, right. who was the co-commentator. Oh. And the commentator pointed it out to Shearer, who then had to comment about 70,000 people abusing him, which you don't really get in football commentary very often. Right. He, he dealt with it admirably, I thought. I don't like it when people break the fourth wall. Do you, listener? Anyway, Sheffield United drew 1-1 with Watford. We might touch on that later on, because next up it is the battle at the bottom. Hello, Lob. It's a shame, says Lob, that Frida Fagerland and Karl Anker aren't on together, because in Sweden, everyone watches Donald Duck on Christmas Eve, and his Swedish name is Karl Kalla Anker. Is this right, Frida? It's very true. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, Donald Duck in Sweden is called Kalla Anker. Yeah. What does that mean? It's basically, I mean, Carl is a Swedish name. Okay. Um, so Donald. So yeah. the nickname mm. of Carl is Kalle. Right. Um, and Anka is duck in Swedish. Is that right? Yeah. And on Christmas Eve, everybody watches Donald Duck. Yeah, it's very a very strange tradition that's been going on like forever. Well, possibly not forever. You know, because well, at least sixty, fifty years, maybe sixty years. What other like weird things do? You, sorry, what other different things do you get up to at the festive period as Swedish people? Um, well, I mean, we we open our gifts on the twenty fourth, right? Which many people find strange, but I don't know why we do that. Deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And we have a different kind of buffet, I guess. Not What's so it? many mince mince pies. Is it herring based? It's herring, uh, right. salmon. And right. stuff like that. That sounds great. Ham. 
Fantastic. D- duck. <laughs> Maybe a duck. Perhaps Someone an anchor. Might do that. Yeah. Yeah. Carl Anker, not Donald Duck, sadly, but actually the journalist Carl Anker, will be in on our next show. Ah. Right. And he's got an amusing anecdote to tell about Donald Duck as well. So make sure you don't miss that one, listener. And indeed, yourself, Frida. How do you say Donald Duck in German, Rafa? Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's very un-German. I know. Yeah. But Scrooge is Dagobert Duck. Dagobert. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what are the the, the three... Um... Uh, Huey, Dewey and Louie. Yeah, they're Tick, Trick and Truck. All right. In Italian, they're Qui, Quo, Qua. Here, there and, you know, the other. Nice. Anyway, the bottom. Bottom three is Norwich. Watford and Villa, who are only one point off safety. From Villa up to 18th, you've got five teams within four points of each other in descending order. Saints, Brighton, Bournemouth and West Ham. This coming weekend, Brighton and Bournemouth play each other. Watford take on Villa, that's huge. While West Ham, who are now one point off the bottom three after their defeat at Palace, have Leicester. Now, first off, the IU goal. Oh, he's still got it. And still, IU! Absolutely magnificent! Double jerk back, the quick feet. And what about that for a finish? Are you serious? As you know, I mean, it was extraordinary, no, wasn't it? Yeah, I ill-advisedly let my son step to watch match of the day, which backfired yeah. heavily due to fatigue the next day. But um, he he pointed out it's the sort of goal that you try and do in the garden, but ne- you'd never do in a real game. It's sort of true. He kind of dribbled past a player, did a did well. He a does the roulette, yeah, yeah. Does, yeah, and then he does a one-two past another yeah. two players, and, and then chips and then the dinks keeper. the keeper. It's uh, oh. goal of the season. Yeah, well, I mean, it's in the conversation. Where does this leave? Uh, while we, you know, salute Palace, who are quietly doing the business, ninth place right now. Where does this leave? Uh, Pellegrini is he back in the, the the nearest bed to the door again? Mm, I think so. Uh, I mean, there's a lot lot made about the return of Lukas Fabianski in goal, but if your goalkeeper is going to be the the big improvement, that already shows that there is something seriously wrong uh, with your team. And I think West Ham and the Pellegrini have always um, shown that they can turn up in the in the bigger games when there's a bit more attention and perhaps less pressure on them to to perform. Uh, they can be quite organised, they can work quite hard, but when it comes to uh, your humdrum uh, fixtures, when they're expected to create stuff, there just isn't enough there, just isn't enough there which, is, which is strange because player by player, they have one of the more decent sides, you, you'd think. So uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, it's not a surprise really that in the end you're thinking, well, the squad is, is not a relegation squad, we have to change something at the very top. Could be in the bottom three if Leicester have their way this weekend. In other West Ham-related festive news, did you see the Mikel Antonio story, Frida? Yeah, I did. If you didn't, listener, let me tell you that Kia Rosina was in her living room with her family on Christmas Day when a Premier League footballer, that's you, Mikel Antonio, dressed as a snowman, crashed a Lamborghini into her front garden. It was 6.30pm. They heard a massive bang outside their home in Ballam. They went outside to find that uh, Mikel Antonio had driven his Italian supercar into their bin shed. Another wall he couldn't beat. Nice one. Yeah. Was That's... he aiming for the chimney? I don't know. I, I don't know. I think he was dressed as a Santa, no? Not just a snowman. Right. Uh, uh, it says uh, snowman. There's a picture of yeah. a snowman. Yeah, it's got a, yeah. a, a false carrot for a nose. Right. Yeah, that's very much snowman territory for me. Okay. It's kind of it like a... Kia. Oh. oh, no, you go ahead. It's like kind of like a Premier League footballer's version of Cluedo. You know, you have to pick a... <laughs> so, so it's Mikel Antonio in a Lamborghini yeah. dressed as a snowman. In Balham. My main concern, says Kia, was that it was petrol and everyone would have to get out of the house because a lot of smoke was coming up from the car. I was fearing the worst. Like, what if the car blows up? He, Antonio, was on the phone shouting to someone saying he was all right. He kept saying, don't keep telling me I'm stupid to the per- person on the phone. You should be asking me if I'm all right. Where have you read all this? On the athletic, ah, actually, yeah, yeah. No, this was another athletic scoop uh, because I'm not seeing it widely reported. But somebody, I guess, knows Kia on you know within the athletics burgeoning staff, and uh, and they. It's a wonderful. We story. have our people everywhere. I'm sure you do. <laughs> you actually have. Yeah. Oh, she's a YouTube sensation. Says producer Ben. It's very much across that kind of thing. Brilliant. Well, that was uh, he was well enough to play against Crystal Palace. I was heartened to see Norwich will be hosting Spurs. This weekend, they are now bottom of the table after losing at Villa. 
They've only picked up two points from last six games. Can you see much much light at the end of the tunnel for Daniel Farker? I mean, they haven't been playing badly, I think. There's hardly a game where you say Norwich were abject or didn't create chances, but um, I think the overall balance just isn't quite there. You know, you, you, play, you play well, you stay true to yourself, you play an expensive game, then you have to take your chances and have to defend better. But, I mean, 12 points is, is getting into pretty desperate territory. Mm. I just hope that they recognise that it's probably not down to the manager yeah. and, and stick with him. Okay. If, um, if you're going to do that, if you're going to say, we're not going to spend loads of money, we're going to stick to our principles, then go down with dignity and use the money you've got from the Premier League to, to improve the team and come back up. I mean, West Brom did it. It's a valid way. Burnley did it. Yeah, it's yeah. a valid way of approaching. And his his stock um, is still very high in Germany. In fact, he was in contention and perhaps still is for the succession of Lucien Favre at Dortmund. Mm. Um, they have seen what he's done and they like it. Uh, a, little, little, a little bit like David Wagner, who I think right. wasn't really seen as culpable for Huddersfield uh, relegation when he left halfway through the season last right. year. Uh, I think people are looking at the bigger picture and think it's probably not down to him. Jan Seifert, is he in for a lot of big roles as well? Not to my knowledge, no. Okay, all right then. Uh, Brighton Bournemouth, how excited are you about that? That Saturday, it's the early kickoffs. There's not long to wait, Frida. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I mean, it's two very good managers. Um, and I think that um, Potter is doing a great job in Brighton, as we've seen many times. Um, the problem might be that he doesn't have a depth in the squad, really. Um, so playing again 48 hours later wow, might be yeah. even tougher for for them compared to uh, the slightly bigger teams that have bigger squads. But yeah, I mean, Bournemouth, they've certainly come around a bit. What those, I mean, the, the, the four points from the games against Chelsea and now Arsenal? I'm, I thought maybe that Eddie Howe was on the verge of, of leaving Bournemouth. Did you think? He, he's been there so many years and sometimes, you know, it's like Pochettino. Sometimes it, there's not many many more things you can do with right. a squad. I don't think there's much appetite down at Bournemouth to, to, to get somebody else in. That would be... They wouldn't be able to sing the song that we discussed the other week, would they? How does that song go again? Uh, we went to Burnley and came oh, back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. He went I wonder if he's ever going to get a bigger job or if he's forever destined to be overlooked because, dare I say, he's perhaps a little bit light on the charisma factor. I think he was. If he's, it was like a bigger personality, then bigger clubs would be happier to entrust him with. Yeah, with well, that it was role. interesting on Boxing Day. Obviously, he was playing uh, Arsenal, who managed by a man now five years younger than Eddie Howe. And Eddie Howe's great calling card was that he was young. That was the right. thing about Eddie Howe, and no longer comes to us all. Yeah. I actually think that Potter is ahead of him regarding you know both being Englishmen, um, and he's. I mean, it's not like Ray and Potter is. Um, this Jose Mourinho during the press conferences, but he might have a slightly bit more charisma. It was 5-0 to the Cherries at Brighton last season. Five different scorers as well, Frida, so you you have every right to be excited about that fixture. Uh, As many people are indeed about Watford's clash with Villa, also similarly crucial in the relegation battle. They're both in the bottom three, and it is the Graham Taylor derby too. Uh, Villa coming off that win over Norwich. They've only ever beaten Watford once, at Vicarage Road in the league. Tom Heaton was excellent against Norwich. Ben Foster was perhaps even better in that 1-1 draw away at Sheffield United as uh, Nigel Pearson continues to work his particular brand of magic with the Hornets. Mm. Yeah. Both, well, bigger both. magic being worked at Sheffield United, I think. Well, that's also, yeah. I mean, say. but we've, we've, we've talked a lot about the, right. the, the, the wonderful blades. Both, uh, both Tom Heaton and Ben Foster have had shots in the Premier League in 2019. So, wow, there you go. Okay, who haven't we mentioned, Frida? Wolves, that's right. And Man City and Everton, to be fair. We don't really talk much about them. Wolves, they've got a busy time. They're home to City on Friday night. And then on Sunday, they're against the best team in the world, Liverpool. So that's, what, two absolutely massive games. Champions then... Champions of the world, mm, but usually play quite well against City. Yeah. Um, well, they beat them, didn't they, earlier in the season? Yeah, and I do think that their style of play is probably um, 
better against better teams, mm. so to say. Um, they sometimes have a, a pretty hard time with um, low defenses. So, yeah. But it is, in the words of Jurgen Klopp, a crime. A crime. I think to put that fixture list together for Wolves. How can you play? It's not even the space of 48 hours. It's less than that. 45 hours. Against the two best teams. Not even less than 45. Is no? it less than 45 yeah. hours? So it's Friday night and then Sunday. Yeah, but so Sunday it's probably less. Yeah. yeah. I think it's 43 hours. Okay. Wow, it's, it's coming down. Brutal. It's not on, really. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see how they do. Sometimes, you know, you're just kind of you're just running on adrenaline and... Uh, might be the game after that it really catches up with them. I mean, I think the ultimate for this was a couple of seasons ago. Uh, Burnley had two games in 48 hours. Not only did Sean Dyche name the same starting eleven for both, but in the second match, which was away at City, he didn't make a substitution. Brilliant. Just <laughs> how was it? How was the scoreline? They lost. Right. But not massively. So. Okay. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, City have that game Friday night against Wolves, and then they'll be taking on Everton who, eight and a half years after he got the sack in a corridor at Goodison Park, welcomed Carlo Ancelotti back. Uh, and uh, he masterminded a thrilling 1-0 win over Burnley. A courtesy of a wonderful diving header from uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. It was probably a good opponent to start with, I think, because mm-hmm. Burnley didn't really offer that much. They only had uh, they didn't have a single shot on target, which isn't great. Although Sean Dutch did say after the game, we quelled the match. I've not used... I've not heard the word quelled in a post-match interview possibly ever. All right. But that was more creativity in the interview than possibly shown on the pitch, I think. Right. It's a tough run of games coming up for Carlo Ancelotti as he unveils his his, his blueprint for Champions League football. Uh, at the Toffees, they've got, well, as I say, Newcastle on Saturday. Then they face Manchester City on New Year's Day, after which they have the Merseyside derby against his old friends Liverpool on the 5th of January. But I think that's a quite a good game for them because it's the FA Cup and I think Klopp will be rotating quite heavily for that match. Will he? Um, and I don't think he's desperate for a long FA Cup run. So it could be a good kind of start to the new year for Everton. Right. Are you optimistic about uh, Ancelotti's impact at Everton? I think it would be really interesting. I mean, Carlo's all about pragma- pragmatism mm-hmm. and not having a fixed system and uh, you know, making sure that he finds something that works for the players. But I think there's a limit of how flexible you can be these days without then losing yourself in, in, in a system that is unrecognisable and doesn't really give players strict guidelines. Um, Wait, is he? I mean, he started out with strict strict like guidelines because he was 4-4-2, came up under Saki and that. And I know in his book he talks about his experience of Palmer changing him when he had the kind of harrowing experience of being the the man who turned down the Beatles. He He, he sold... Zola and turned down Roberto Baggio and he realised afterwards because neither of them would fit into his thing I, I presume that's where he went you know maybe having a system isn't all it's cracked up to be yeah and I, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that as such I just think that football has at the very top level moved to the to the point where unless you have a very clearly defined idea of what you're trying to do I think it's very very difficult to compete against teams who then will have a clearly define the deal right. what they do uh, you can do it if you have superstars so that would be if you have like the Klopp best teams and, that would be people like Klopp and, and, and Guardiola and and, uh, and Red Rogers. would that be fair or, or? yeah I think so I mean a, a team that you can recognise without their shirts on basically a team that plays in the image of a, of a coach and plays with certain non-negotiable uh, principles right um uh, it was interesting to see Allegri saying very similar things in, in a recent interview. With James Horncastle? Uh, yeah, and in the New York Times as well, I think he did too, where he said, well, I'm not pragmatic, I'm not an ideologue, I, I like things to be flexible. Um, but I think that might be the reason why some of the clubs feel that maybe he isn't quite the right manager because they want this big idea. They want a a coach who has a very well-defined vision and then comes with a... Um, you know, with an idea that then helps the clubs pick the right players to fit that, rather than being sort of a little bit, a little bit trying to do a little bit of everything and then maybe losing yourself um, in the process. So, um, I, I think it would be really fascinating in the Premier League specifically to see if this kind of approach from Ancelotti actually works. Mm, excellent. Well, Man City coming up this weekend. Paddy Power is up next in conversation with producer Ben with some odds on the weekend's action. 
Hello, listeners. Did you enjoy your Christmas? Of course you did. And there's some more games coming up this weekend because the football never stops. So here's Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power to run us through the fixtures. Lee, let's start with a London derby, Arsenal versus Chelsea. Well, to be honest with you, Ben, I wouldn't fancy either of these sides do business for me on any weekend of the year at the minute. Despite their awful performance against Southampton, we make Chelsea the favourites for this one. They do tend to do better away from home. And they can't do much worse than what they served up on Boxing Day. It was like a plate full of Brussels sprouts. Arsenal rescued the drawway to Bournemouth, and that might be the most Arsenal sentence you can imagine. They're 15-8 to win this. The draw's 13-5. to Chelsea are 13-10. to All right, over to the Etihad then, where Man City will be hosting the surprise package this season, Sheffield United. What's going to happen here, please? Well, Pep won't say it, but I think I'm safe enough to... Man City are definitely playing for second place in the league right now. There is no title race. My New Year's resolution is to move on from trying to create one. As for this game, City are a huge 1-7 to to win it, with Sheffield United 14-1 to to get all three points despite an excellent record on the road. The draw is 13-2. to And finally, Lee, at the bottom of the table, Watford are at home to Aston Villa. Who's going to come out victorious here? Hmm, well, Watford's last two performances and, crucially, results have given them a real momentum and platform to build on, and that probably explains why they're the odds-on favourites of this one, as well as the fact that the game's been played at Vicarage Road. They're 10-11 to to win this, with an Aston Villa victory priced at 13-5, to the same odds as a draw. Villa virtually relegated Norwich last time out, and this is another huge opportunity for them to do similar to a rival. You can find out those odds and more... At paddypower.com, all the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Rafa, you've gone on a special Totally Football show all about Jurgen Klopp, who's only about the best manager in the world. I hasten to add, it wasn't behind your back, James. No, that's You fine. knew about this. This is the sort of relationship we have. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. can go on off you, with others. You were with Nick Miller. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed it very much. Okay. That's great. And that's out at the moment. It is out now, as is the book. Yes. If you wanted to learn more about the uh, probably the title-winning manager the... of uh, 1920. Oh, right. The titliest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a good, I think, even if you don't like the subject so much, it's an interesting insight into um, what makes Klopp and, by extension, this Liverpool side tick. Very nice. Once you're finished with that, why not have a bang on the totally Scottish football show in which uh, the gang will be looking forward to the third Old Firm game of the season this Saturday. Uh, the two teams, Celtic and Rangers, coming into this uh, second and first, uniquely enough. There'll be another Golazzo out soon, but when we can remember where we put it. Uh, but in the meantime, Frida, for exciting Italian news, how about Zlatan Ibrahimovic going back to Milan? Yeah, um, seems like it's coming true. Well, yes. Yeah. First they really wanted him, then they said, no, actually you're a bit old and you want loads of money, so we won't. And then now it's all happening. This is kind of the, it's a six-month deal, but there's an option to extend it. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he, he, he did brilliantly in Los Angeles. So he could do well for a struggling Milan side, which certainly they feel needs his personality. Yeah, he probably will. Uh, I mean, I can't believe that he's as old as he is because he's, he's, he's like, I agree with him. He's like a fine wine. He just becomes better every year. Right. But he's been, um, it's quite strange around Slatan at the moment, at least in Sweden, because he's stirred up uh, some emotions lately. Um, I don't know if you've heard what happened to his statue. They, they cut the nose off his statue. Yeah, Was it for medicinal properties or something can you grind it up to make an aphrodisiac or something um <laughs> i'm not sure how they did it but i'm surprised it took them this long to cut the um, nose of his statue yeah because um to, to make a very long story uh, quite short um slatan is i mean he, a tit <laughs> he's not really a club legend in malmö ff but okay. that was the club uh, where he um came through um, and then he left pretty early when he was still very young and went to Ajax uh, and hasn't come back since but I mean he's when you think about Malmö FF you obviously think about Zlatan uh, and 
when they were going to put his statue up, um, at first they were going to put it in Stockholm. But actually the fans to AIK, who plays at the Friends Arena, they didn't want it there, which I can understand. So they said, well, let's put it in Malmö then, which, I mean, it was a pretty good idea at first. But then a couple of weeks later, uh, Slatan revealed that he's bought 25% of Hammarby, which is another Stockholm club and a big rival to Malmö FF. Um, and the fans weren't so happy about that. And that's that. when the nose cutting started. Yeah, uh, right. among other things, yeah. Other acts of vandalism. Oh, really? Have other yeah. bits of the statue been got at? Oh, yeah. Uh, Absorbed in paint oh, and stuff. Oh, paint, and they've uh, written very, very bad words. What uh, have they Some said? of them racist. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's not very popular in Malmö at the moment. I uh, see. I don't think uh, he should go back there, <laughs> to be honest. Right. So Milan are thinking, it's just what we need. Right, a statue, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess you shouldn't put statues up of anyone that actually lives. It's better to wait a couple of years. Does Sven Joran Eriksson have a statue in Gothenburg? No, he doesn't. What about Roy Hodgson in Malmö? Does he have one there? No, but he should have one. He should, shouldn't he? Yeah. Rafa, excitingly, you're off on a... a, I mean, how long is your winter break in Germany? Until mid-January, is it? Yeah, mid-January. But I'm going to um, Spain Ah? for a week in January because that's where all the German teams are. Right. Um, and, well, are uh, you be, will you be catching up with RB Leipzig, the Herbmeisters? No, they're, they're not there, um, at least not to my knowledge. Uh, no, but Gladbach, Dortmund, Dusseldorf and Schalke are all sort of in the near vicinity right. uh, of um, southern Spain. So, Well, that, that, I'm sure that'll be fun and we can read all about that in The Athletic or indeed you can just tell us about it here. Brilliant. On our special European shows when they get going again. Nice. Very good. That, though, wraps it up for today's edition. The Totally Football Show is back on Monday when it'll be in the extremely expert hands of Matt Davis-Adams and he'll be joined by all sorts of people. Uh, so that's a must-listen. Do enjoy your weekend, listener. Many thanks to Frida Fargalen for being with us today. Thank you for having me. And it's been a delight. Duncan Alexander. Bye. Bye. And Rafa, you'll be speaking to everyone on Monday, so that's terrific. Listener, bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.